where we learn about the professional lives of artists, creatives, and cultural workers. In this podcast, we will hear how people in the arts and culture sector secure employment and the advice they have for those looking for work or hiring. We hope these podcasts will guide you through your professional journey in the arts. Today, we have Tim Walker from Harbor Front Center joining us. Harbor Front Center, for those of you who are not familiar, is on Toronto's waterfront. It's an innovative non-for-profit cultural organization that creates events and activities of excellence that enliven, educate, and entertain a diverse public. And I, it's one of my favorite places to go to in Toronto, especially in the summertime. There's always like some kind of festival happening. It's really a wonderful place to be outdoors and get familiar with the different types of cultures that are in Toronto and enjoy, you know, each other's company. And unfortunately, it's not something we can do at this point in our lives right now because of the pandemic. And I'm really curious, Tim, to hear from you about some of the changes that have taken place and how Harborfront Center is managing and specifically how you're managing as a manager of the school visits at Harborfront Center. Yeah, no worries. Excited. <laughs> awesome. So why don't you start with telling us a little bit about what you were working on maybe before the pandemic and, and how things have shifted for you? For sure. So uh, in my role at Harborfront Center, I'm the manager of the school visits program, which is our experiential hands-on learning program uh, that predominantly caters to the school customers or school groups coming through the, the, the space. So before we went into any sort of COVID-19 closures or lockdowns, we would be hosting student groups on site at Harborfront Center. So every year we host about 1,200 classes or 26,000 students. Uh, and obviously for us, uh, that's not an option. As soon as the uh, school boards and the Ministry of Education indicated that schools would be closed, we obviously were not able to host students on site. So definitely some major changes in terms of my regular workflow. School visits is supported by three full-time staff members, and we have about 20 to 22 part-time educators who facilitate our programs. So definitely pivoting to a work-from-home model for any of our full-time staff and thinking about developing digital or e-learning uh, options to engage with students, parents, and the community as well, which would be different than the type of face-to-face experiences that we would normally be providing. Can you tell us about some of the programs that you have on right now? I know you have one on Facebook Live. For sure, yeah. So one of the things that we did at Harborfront Center pretty quickly after we pivoted to the remote or digital engagement is what we do uh, Crafternoon Live. So I go on Facebook and Instagram on Thursday afternoons, and it's a short visual arts-based craft activity that we're sort of aiming for ages five and up. And it's a taste of a sort of a, what a school visits program might feel like. It's, it's a much shorter duration. So the online engagement that we do right now is about 15 to 20 minutes and a school visits program would be at least 90 minutes in length. So it's definitely just sort of a taste of getting creative and giving both children, students and parent guardians or the responsible adult in their home to kind of come together and get creative. Uh, I know myself, I'm missing the engagement of seeing students explore and 
navigate through different artistic techniques and disciplines. So it gives us a chance to connect digitally. Uh, but yeah, so that's one of the major initiatives that we are doing through the school visits team. Uh, and we also worked with my full-time team to develop some both performing arts videos and what we're calling visual arts step-by-steps, which is a PDF uh, that's downloadable from the Harborfront Center website that gives sort of a more in-depth exploration of different visual arts activities. And the performing arts videos are exploring the elements of dance. There'll be either videos just sort of five to 10 minutes in length connecting to those, or there'll be what we call short combos. So short routines, uh, dance routines that people can watch and follow along and get uh, creative. That's wonderful. In addition to the changes that you're making with your programming, what about the hiring practices? I know Harborfront Center at this time, especially was posting on our job board frequently for summer and festival positions. And now because of everything that's happening, that's obviously been limited. So can you share with us what changes have taken place with hiring practices and what you think will happen in the future? For specifically for Harborfront Center, in my role as the school visits manager, you're, you know, you're bringing up great points. We do, of course, use the Working Culture Job Posting Board to hire for seasonal staff. And we hire usually a seasonal educator. And they facilitate programming in our outdoor event spaces. So if you've been down on Harborfront Center campus, you might have seen the large marketplace tents that are around the campus. And we actually use those as our outdoor classrooms in May and June, as we have such a high demand for field trips at the end of the year. Lots of teachers and students are excited to sort of come down and and celebrate the end of the year together. So those are positions that we would normally be hiring for. And of course, at this point, as we are unable to host student groups on campus due to the government recommendations and Ministry of Education closing schools for face-to-face learning. So those positions we were not able to post for. I mean, those positions, traditionally, I have hired uh, individuals who are just exiting either an arts education program or a Bachelor of Education or Master's of Education program. So those are those entry-level positions into Harborfront Center for recent graduates that unfortunately those opportunities weren't available to them this year. In terms of the other half of our education team, which is our recreational learning, they, they're summer camps. Of course, I'm sure uh, by this point, many of us are aware that day camp programs are not able to run on the scale that they would run in previous years. So there's also been a number of vacant positions that we would normally hire for at this time of year that we just aren't hiring for as a result of the closure of the facility itself. So definitely some major changes in terms of the staffing team that we take on. So for the school programs, for the outdoor educators, I would be hiring between six and eight staff and the camps team can hire up to 180 staff. Yeah, definitely a big impact on engaging with professionals who are entering the workforce and looking for relevant experience, particularly in arts, culture, recreation, and leisure. Mm -hmm. So what advice do you have for employers who may be hiring at this time or will be hiring after the pandemic is uh, resolved? I think at this point, I'm critically examining the recruitment cycle. What does that look like? You know, what can we facilitate digitally or remotely? So even thinking, I know not all organizations are doing interview and recruitment through things like Zoom or Skype or any of the video chat platforms. So even just getting used to that, I did conduct some phone interviews just before we went into the COVID-19 remote working situation. And 
it's slightly different to interview on the phone, at least I found in my experience, because the candidate is not able to read your visual cues as the interviewer when, you know, something's going well or when you're like you're nodding in agreement. So it's just thinking about how to be more verbal to try and make candidates as comfortable as possible. I don't want the nerves to be the reason that someone doesn't perform to their best. I try to make the space as comfortable and welcoming for candidates as possible. And we take for granted those nonverbal cues that are harder, particularly for phone-based interviews. In terms of the other strategies for hiring and onboarding, those glitches in technology, right? The pauses or delayed responses, uh, sometimes the rhythm of the interview seems a little bit off, but uh, that's just the, the realities of working remotely. And what other advice do I have for employers? I think at this point that there's going to be a wealth of qualified uh, and engaged candidates who are looking to do meaningful work and having a good idea of what you see in terms of working digitally or remotely as opposed to a transition to face-to-face. I think really having a clear idea as an employer of where you see your um, face-to-face as opposed to digital engagement for a new staff member, I think that's really important. Yeah, on that note, what do you think are some important professional skills that one should be developing at this time or should have given that we're all working from home and using more technological tools? Yeah, I think one of the key competencies or key skills that I was thinking about is just proficiency with digital mediums. So thinking about, you know, at this point, many of us have engaged through Teams or Zoom or Google Meet or any of those systems and kind of having a working knowledge. I know myself professionally, these are skills that I didn't necessarily use in my everyday job before, you know, March 2020, that I would, of course, have them available to me. I knew they were there. But in terms of the video presentation skills and how to share information on your screen so that someone else can see it. It gives you the feeling of being kind of in a meeting or in a in a room together, even though you're, of course, engaging digitally. I think at this point, it would be just taking some time to familiarize yourselves with some of those resources. And then one other thing, and I think this works, whether it's a whether we're sort of, you know, thinking a year ago, or we're thinking a year ahead is just email etiquette. Because so much of our communication is now going to be written and digital, there's not that opportunity to kind of verify or, or check in with someone. So just being mindful on things like tone and email etiquette, I think that's a, a skill people can definitely work on. Yeah, that's great advice. Having writing skills has always been a plus. <laughs> you really need to brush up on those skills as well going forward. So that's, that's great. Thank you. For sure. I mean, for myself, I know I also would often have a second set of eyes at work, just glance over my shoulder. Hey, can you check this email? Can you proof it? Can you edit it? And I think that's a bit harder Mm -hmm. when you're not physically in the same space as someone else. So maybe it's just taking a few extra minutes yourself Mm -hmm. before you hit send to verify that that email actually says what you think it says. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And like you said, like maybe even working on teams or any other online application where you can easily communicate with coworkers and and ask for advice. We're all on social media and using different communication apps. So I think it is easier to reach out to others and ask for advice, even though it is challenging to learn about new technologies. And for me, it's the patience, right? It's that um, we're all in something new together. Mm -hmm. I kind of feel like that's almost like a unifying experience right now is that we're all, you know, extending courtesies and being patient to each other. Mm -hmm. And I really hope that that's something that continues. 
beyond this is just giving people the benefit of the doubt when, you know, there's not that immediate response in a digital space or Mm -hmm. inevitable hiccups with technology that are going to happen as we all work remotely, just giving the courtesy and, and respect to others. Do you think that is going to be an element that employers will really think about moving forward, giving people the room and space to build on their skills and develop along with what's happening in in today's world. Thinking specifically about Harborfront Center as an example, I think that we, many of our staff who were not used to working from home or working remotely did transition fairly easily. But our IT team was able to support us with additional sort of training and for example, one of our IT professionals shares a daily tip about Teams. And it's just a quick email that we can read that helps get us up to speed. And it gives you a chance to kind of test things out. And I do find that that collaboration and exchange between staff is really helpful. Like, oh, I can't figure this out, but I know so-and-so knows how to do it. Let's jump in on a, on a chat or on a phone call and kind of talk through that process. And you mentioned earlier that around this time, you would hire a lot of new graduates for the uh, festival positions. Do you have any advice for those who are looking for work or have just graduated and uh, are trying to find work in the arts and culture sector? So I think number one is kind of acknowledging that this is is a highly unusual experience that everyone's going through. So sort of acknowledging that those feelings of you know, I'm uncertainty are common and natural. And even people who are working in the in, you know, arts and culture organizations are also wrestling with some of those quaint same questions about, you know, how do we engage our audience? Will our audience return to us in the same numbers and with the same level of comfort and familiarity as they have in the past? So just knowing that uncertainty that comes with something new is not just being felt by recent graduates, it's being felt by people who have been working in these organizations for a number of years. So number one would just be sort of embrace and lean into that discomfort, because I think that it is, we're all facing it in different ways. I've had the chance to speak to a couple of different programs through Centennial uh, College and their sort of arts and culture management programs and things like that. And I always say be persistent and be patient with the arts and culture sector, because we all know that the job opportunities may or may not be as many as other industries. You know, I've spent a number of years working in arts and culture. So I kind of know that there is sort of a seasonality or a cyclical nature to those positions. And there tends to be lots of short term and contract hiring over the summer as all organizations build for the influx of, of audience members. So just kind of being patient and waiting for that cycle to come through and that I'm optimistic that many of the arts and culture sector jobs that we're used to seeing seasonally will come back for for next year. I know that's not super positive to say right now, but <laughs> that's the sort of the reality of where we're at. I also think about the opportunity for those sort of check-ins or coffee talks or FaceTime chats. Like I know that people reach out to me and for myself, this is a time that I might be feeling quite time stressed uh, in my regular routine, but because I'm working remotely, there might be more opportunities for those digital check-ins. Uh, they can happen really quite quickly after someone reaches out to you, there's not this sort of back and forth of where are we going to be geographically, we can it can happen anywhere, really. So I would say reach out to people who are in organizations or positions that you're interested in getting to know a little bit about. And I'm sure that type of advice has been shared through many of the programs Mm -hmm. that people are working on. But I I really think there's valid and and merit in that. Do you think that people should be potentially branching out as well? You know, not only thinking about contract work, part-time work, 
work in the arts and culture sector. Do you think now, because of all the changes that are taking place, that the sector is going to look more diverse, not only in the sense of various people and backgrounds, but also what industries they're coming in from or what specialties they they should be familiar with? Yeah, I think you're bringing up some really great points and to consider. I think you know, just drawing on what my experience has been, you know, I've been, I've been asked to uh, challenge myself to learn new skills, even within uh, a role that I have had now for a number of years. So I mean, for example, delivering online lessons through social media is a skill that wasn't something I, you know, necessarily had or would would fall back to comfortably. Um, the teaching aspect, of course, that's part of, you know, that being the manager of school visits, I spent many years teaching our programs, but adapting to a new a delivery model, a new interface, a new way of engaging. So I think even in that capacity, like that requires some marketing skills. Like what does it look like when you're on film? Like how does that change the way when you're working within the frame of social media, how does that change the way you might uh, create or animate your space? So even in that capacity, I absolutely think that potential employers are going to be looking for diverse skill sets and a willingness to be flexible and adaptable to change. Uh, because there is uncertainty, you know, I wish we were able to say, you know, on such and such a date, everything will go back to quotes normal that we're used to pre COVID-19. But I don't think that that's the reality for a lot of us. And I think we're all looking for staff members who are willing to hit the ground running, be flexible and adaptable and uh, collaboration. I think uh, that's something I've definitely seen uh, more of across and between institutions, uh, which I think is really healthy and will be sought after for sure. Yeah, I've also noticed there seems to be more of an interest in collaboration and sharing um, not only just the resources that are available to the people in the sector, but working together on programs and brainstorming, giving ideas or even like contacts. So I, I have definitely seen more of that during this time. Do you think that's going to continue? Do you think for the sector that, you know, we'll, we should look and plan to doing more of that? Uh, I'm always a fan of collaboration. I think that we are stronger together. Yeah. Uh, I'm a huge advocate for uh, identifying, you know, what your strengths, what your niches are, and what your opportunities are, and where there are chances to look at uh, augmenting what you might bring to the table with something or someone or another organization or staff member that can really kind of round out that experience. You know, I think that the need and the desire to engage with the arts and to feel a sense of community uh, existed before COVID-19, exists during COVID-19. We see so many people trying to build digital networks and, you know, even the proliferation of using Zoom for social or digital happy hours or things, you know what I mean? I feel like the need and desire to come together mm -hmm. and to share a collective experience I think that's going to continue. I don't think that's going to change. It's to me, it's fundamental in engaging in the arts in in any capacity. Uh, so I can really see that being a driving force for collaboration. As many organizations will be thinking about what next steps are, you know, as we come out of the other side of of a COVID nineteen experience. Yeah, you know, I kind of see that as a silver lining. Would you say that? there are other positive changes that are coming out because of the pandemic? Collaborations, I think, not only have come from a collective desire to continue to engage with audiences, but I also think that opportunities for collaboration have come through, 
I actually think we might have a bit more time on our hands. And I know for myself uh, and our programs at school, at school visits, it is a time to pause and reflect. You know, a school program such as ours runs 10 months of the year. We catch our breath really quickly in the summer and then we're go back into execution mode. So it's nice to kind of pause and think intentionally uh, long range. It's something that I'm always striving to do. You know, I always have a three-year plan that I'm working on and, and reviewing, but I think this allows staff members from different areas of an organization to come together and have intentional conversations about, you know, where we see ourselves and what we'd like to set as future goals. Yeah, that's so true. I also feel like it's really critical to think and reflect on what's happening. And sometimes we didn't have that chance to do it because we were so go, go, go and project driven and going from point A to point B. And this time has really allowed us for us to reflect and think about what are the things that are truly important to us as an organization, you know, as a community, even. Mm -hmm. For sure. What are some successes that you are celebrating could be through your work or just through what you're seeing in the sector, if you could share that with us as a final point, that, that'd be very meaningful. Thank you. Great. Yeah. Thanks so much for this as well. This opportunity, really appreciate it. I think for me, it just, the successes is the resiliency and value of arts and culture in the lives of the people around us. I think that, you know, those of us who work in arts and culture often say, that our number one sort of opportunity is we really want, we need that engagement with an audience to examine, check, view, respond to, create, collaborate, challenge, question. And I think that the resiliency of arts and culture and the arts and culture sector to continue to provide opportunities for this type of engagement is really what I think is a success. I think, you know, we've, we've seen people are, are, are calling out for arts and culture. And, you know, you see those those social media posts that talk about what's driving people, what's helping people in terms of their mental health, in terms of their emotional well-being. It's engaging with the arts and culture in some capacity as a potentially a distraction from what's happening, but also potentially to unpackage how they're feeling about this unprecedented world event that we're in. When it comes to successes that, that I think are really noteworthy, you know, Specifically for Harborfront Center, I've been really impressed with the way that we've been able to pivot to digital engagement. Things like we, uh, over the May long weekend, had Virtually Junior, which was a digital or virtual uh, version of our International Children's Festival that happens every year in May. And of course, it feels a bit different when it's looking through a screen and not sitting in a theater together having a collective experience. But I think that's been really successful specifically for Harborfront. And then, as I mentioned earlier, I had the opportunity to work on Arts at Home, which is an inter-institution initiative that brings together arts learning or arts engagement from across uh, different arts organizations in the city and building some really meaningful connections there as we continue to think critically about how we're engaging with artists of all ages, creators, learners, and interpreters. And then for me, it's that natural curiosity and engagement with the arts continues. I think that's a really really positive that the appetite is still there for sure even if we're not able to come together yeah that's so true I've always found it as we can speak what our heart is saying through the arts I feel like it's an access point a place where we can not only utilize as you said as a, a method for 
dealing with issues, but also unpacking important issues that are out there right now, especially right now. So thanks for sharing with us. Awesome. Yeah. Thank you for listening to Working Culture's Job Board Success Stories. For more information on other Working Culture resources, please visit our website, workingculture.ca, and subscribe to our newsletter to receive job board updates, news, and trends. Join us for our next episode or contact us at info at workingculture.ca to share your success story. Thanks so much, everyone.